you are. He is risen. And I'm going to imagine you are saying, He is risen indeed with me. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Welcome to Elizabethtown Mennonite Church this morning. We're excited about what God has planned for us and for all of us together, spread out as we are this morning. I want to thank the tech team. Landon has been here all morning since the sunrise service working. Thank you to Kate and Anna and Elizabeth for their leading in worship. Um, Ethan and uh, Austin in the back. And so uh, we're excited about being with you this morning. And let's begin with prayer, and then Kate and the team will lead off. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful that this morning, no matter what the realities are around us, there is a deeper and greater and more true reality that heaven knows, and that we sing for and to and with this morning, that heaven joins us this morning in this song and in this word that you've given to us. And I just pray for those who are listening wherever they are this morning, that the peace of Christ that comes with the resurrection, the power of Christ that comes with the resurrection, the life of Christ that comes with the resurrection of our, Christ, of our Lord would flow over them and through them and to them. Thank you for this morning, for the beauty of this morning, and we pray for the world as it exists this morning, for your presence, for your work, for your healing, for your health, for your grace to flow. And so we thank you that we can be part of what you're doing today. In Jesus' name, amen.
worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of every praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. From the shore to the deep, 
you are holy and just and merciful. You are a loving heavenly Father. He blesses you for time. Jesus, you the obedient to the man, the death on the cross, and you may have eternal life. Thank you so much for that word. And just confess that we are very much a people who are I pray, Lord, that as we hear your word about this morning, that our hearts, Lord, would be open to receive the word that you have, that we would be, that our hearts would be a fertile ground, fertile soil, Lord, that we receive your word that seeds that we would do our part, Lord, in helping to nurture it and helping to grow that we might be transformed to the people that we call us to. Lord, I thank you for Conrad, and I thank you for his preparation, his time spent with you, his week, listening, praying, meditating on the word, and preparing you for this message, the message that you have for us. I just pray that that Conrad would be a clear, open vessel before, before you this morning, that your word would flow through him with boldness and with courage, Lord Jesus, that he would be willing to just to keep his eyes fixed and focused on you. And I pray for your shield protection to be around him as he delivers this word, Lord. I pray for your protection to be upon him now as he delivers this word and in the week to come. We thank you for the word that you have for us. So now we kind of be able to deliver that boldness and courage, keeping the eyes fixed and focused on you, and your strength and your voice. Carry it in Jesus' name. Amen. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart always be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Good morning, and once again, I greet you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Heidi, for praying for me this morning, Kate and team for leading us in the Lord's presence. Again, I say, He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Even in the midst of this COVID-19 crisis, Christ is risen. I want to thank Heidi for conversations we had this weekend that connected with my sense of where God was leading me in this message. It's often the case that she and I are hearing similar things from the Lord, and I just appreciate um, that reinforcement and affirmation. Let's not pretend this morning that this Easter morning is like every other Easter morning that you or I have experienced, because clearly it is not. For one thing, when I look out across this congregation, I see just a few people, and not all of you. There are no crowds, there were no crowds this weekend flocking to Vatican Square for the Pope's blessing. There are thousands of families scattered throughout the United States and the world who are grieving the loss of someone they loved, who they've not really been able to grieve well. Family gatherings this afternoon are canceled. 
celebrations and activities that we look forward to and consider part of springtime have been postponed or canceled. There is uncertainty and fear and anxiety that even once we get through the, the health aspect of this crisis, we still don't know what lies ahead economically for many of us. And so we are at home, socially isolated, or living in quarantine, working and going to school remotely. And of course, Easter celebrations for most churches are either canceled or live-streamed, as we are doing today. And yet at the same time, what is really most important about Easter has not changed at all. Easter was never ultimately about our families getting together or about the Easter bunny and Easter baskets. No, the thing that Easter has always really been about remains the same this morning. That is, He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I got to say, I miss, someone asked how preaching goes without an audience, uh, without you here, and I said, I miss uh, the amens and the nodding of heads that I count on, um, but I um, can see you nonetheless doing that. The other thing that hasn't changed is the fact that God hasn't changed this morning, that God is sovereign over the world and that God is still at work in this world to bring about his purposes as much as he ever was before. In fact, if this pandemic that we're experiencing reveals anything at all, it at least reveals that we are not in control. That there is so much we don't know, so much we can't predict, and that our hope must never ultimately be in human beings, in nations, in kings, or rulers. I've thought often of Psalm 2 over the past few weeks, a psalm that I never quite got as a child when I would read this psalm, but I think over the last few weeks I get in a new way. The psalmist said, why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off the fetters. But the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my son, my king, on my holy hill. Therefore, he says, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment and blessed are all who take refuge in him. I've been struck this week and I'll say a little bit more and part of it comes out of the conversation that Heidi and I had, but how often in scripture there is this invitation for us to find refuge in times of darkness, or refuge in times really of God's judgment, and we'll look at a couple of those this morning. But again, that same thing, blessed are those who take refuge in him. God has revealed himself and is revealing himself through this pandemic, revealing who we are as weak and vulnerable and fragile human beings, and who he is as sovereign and omniscient and over all things. We might ask, and you might be asking, how can we even celebrate Easter this year? With so much uncertainty and fear and grief, without all of the familiar trappings and things that give Easter so much meaning, the reason is simple. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Because again, Easter was never about those celebrations, 
And in most parts of the world, throughout history and throughout most of the world today, the people of God have lived with the kind of uncertainty and fear and anxiety that we in the Western world are now experiencing. And yet, they have celebrated. In the midst of panic, in the midst of fear, in the midst of isolation, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of their own diseases and illnesses and poverty and death and famine, with all of that hanging over them, for thousands of years, God's people have still celebrated this day. For most of Christian history, and still today among most of the world, Easter is celebrated in a context where they are aware that they are not in control and that every day they live is unpredictable and uncertain. And yet for these followers of Jesus, their external circumstances do not dictate whether they celebrate this day or not. In fact, I believe this year we have the chance to appreciate and embrace the meaning of Easter more than we ever have before because of our external circumstances. That the true meaning of Easter has a chance this year to sink deeper into our souls than any year before. Why? Because it is the one truth that has not changed in the last four weeks. The one truth that has not changed is that He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Even if most of what we thought was true and real and stable and secure in the world has changed, and the walls of that reality have fallen around us. God's reality up against that fallen reality. God's greatness, God's truth, God's love, God's goodness, God's compassion, God's kindness looks even more strong and reliable this morning and in these weeks than ever, ever before. Someone reminded me this week that the first Passover occurred in the midst of a stay at home order. Let me say that again. The first Passover in Egypt occurred in the midst of a stay-at-home order that God had given his people as they were preparing to leave Egypt. God instructed them to put blood on the, on the outside of the doorposts and on the top of the door so, does, so that as the angel of death passed through, their children, their oldest child, would not be destroyed. That the blood would protect of the sacrificial lamb that they slew would protect their family and their firstborn. In other words, in the midst of a time of fear and uncertainty for God's people in Egypt and just before their deliverance, the stay-at-home order was God's order to protect His people from death and judgment. And of course, the blood over the door pointed to the blood of Christ that would one day, this day, be our protection and our deliverance from death and judgment. Isaiah 26, 20 is also an interesting passage that I was not aware of and that the same individual pointed out to me this week. And I'm going to read a couple of verses in Isaiah 26. I'm beginning with uh, verse 17, uh, verse 16 of Isaiah 26. Lord, they came to you in their distress. When you disciplined them, they could barely whisper a prayer. As a woman with child and about to give birth breathes and cries out in pain, so were we in your presence, O Lord. We were with child, we writhed in pain, and we gave birth to wind. We have not brought salvation to the earth. We have not given birth to the people of the world. This is a confession of God's people in Isaiah's time that they went into exile because they had failed God. 
because they had not given birth to the salvation of the earth. But God responds, your dead will live, their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. And go, my people, enter your rooms and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until his wrath has passed by. For see, the Lord is coming out of his dwelling to punish the people of the earth for their sins. The earth will disclose the blood shed upon them. She will conceal her slain no longer. In spite of God's anger and frustration with his people for failing to bring salvation to the earth, he still says to them, you will live. That even in his discipline and even in his punishment for their failures, he continued to promise them, you will live. And in fact, he says, go into your rooms, go into your chambers, shut the door, and you will be saved. These are interesting passages in light of the quarantine, the social isolation, and the stay-at-home orders that you and I are living under. And on that first night of Jesus' resurrection, that very first night, this evening, we find the disciples of Jesus locked inside a room, again in isolation, for fear of the Jews. And in the midst of that self-imposed stay-at-home situation, Jesus entered and stood among them saying, Peace be with you. He came through the walls, peace be with you. And then he said again to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then Jesus breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit whom he had promised back in John 14. Do not be afraid for I will send my comforter. And then John says the disciples were in that same room later in the week, again with the doors locked. And Jesus shows up again to show doubting Thomas his wounded hands and his feet. And then right before, right after, before his ascension, right before his ascension, Jesus told his disciples to stay in Jerusalem and to wait until the Holy Spirit would come upon them. All of these situations, all of these stay put where you are, go into your chamber, go into your house, go into your room, go into this room till the Spirit comes, all of these have to do with God's salvation. And the fact that God is not limited by our stay at home. God is not limited by our social isolation. Jesus shows up and is present with his disciples even in that place. But in some of the other cases, this stay at homeness is actually God's salvation, God's protection, God's shelter, so that God can be revealed. It's pretty easy of us, easy for us, about four weeks into this situation and this. Um, distancing, to become impatient and to hope that life just returns to it, to what it was. That next Easter will be just like every Easter before this one. That the normality and the predictability of our lives, whatever that means, the comfort to buy stuff, to go places, to eat out, to on and on, to do the stuff that was normal life. But what if this Easter Jesus is inviting us to just slow down? Inviting us to invite him into your home where you are this morning and the fact that you're not here this morning. To break bread with Jesus today rather than your entire extended family. To take your mind off the stuff that ordinarily this time of year consumed you. Spring baseball and celebrity culture, our 401ks, 
binging on Netflix, whatever it is that we're tempted to do. What if confined to our homes is exactly where God wants us to be right now? Can we see God as sovereign over what's happening? Can we see God as providential? Is God at working? Is God at work in what is happening? What if he wants us to be right where we are right now in order to hear his voice in a new way? In order to recognize in a new way that what Easter is really about is what we're learning this year. That it's about he is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That it's about deepening your life with God because you have perhaps and hopefully more time to do that. Brothers and sisters, if we come out of this crisis the same way we went into it, we are going to have missed an incredible opportunity to have met Jesus in a new way. And I think we'll be held accountable for that failure. For every difficult thing that God brings into our life is an opportunity to receive gifts from Him and to steward well what He has given to us or allowed us to experience. I've said earlier that this is one of the richest opportunities we have had in our lifetime to go deeper with God. To experience God's presence, to invite Him into our lives, to see what is really true and real in the world. And that so much of what we believed in or put our hope in or were attached to was actually false and superficial. Maybe it's the way we look and the attention we give to the way we look. Maybe it's the vehicles we drive. Maybe it's the It's our work and our accomplishments. Maybe it's our social status. Whatever it is, it all looks pretty unimportant relative to what is really real and true about who God is. That God is eternal. That God is loving. That God is on the move and that God has a plan for us that ends up in a new heaven and a new earth. When I consider the story this weekend, considered the story of Lazarus and another resurrection story, I get a pretty clear glimpse once again that God does things on His own terms and in His way and according to His schedule, even when it meant Lazarus had to stay in the tomb in social isolation for a few extra days. Jesus was in no hurry to rescue him from his quarantine in that tomb. No, not even Lazarus' resurrection or his sister's persistence were going to get in the way of what Jesus was doing on behalf of the Father's will and in the Father's time. I want to read a few verses from that story. Chapter 11 of John. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. The sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, He stayed where he was two more days. I love that little couple of verses. I don't know how you would feel if you you heard this. When Jesus heard that your friend was sick or your sister was sick or your brother or your family member was sick, he decided to stay two more days. It doesn't sound much like a friend or sound like someone we loved us, but there are so many things we don't understand about God's love for us. And so he stayed two more days even though he clearly loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And even though he knew that Lazarus was sick, And then he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea. The disciples put up a bit of a fuss, but he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going there to wake him up. Again, we get an insight into God's reality and the way God sees what's going on in the world today. It's not the crisis for God that it is for us. 
Jesus said, Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, well, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. And so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. Let's go. In this other resurrection story, the one that is a foretaste of the, of the great resurrection story of Jesus to come, it is so clear that Jesus is following the Father's time frame and the Father's purposes. He purposely stayed where he was two extra days after knowing that Lazarus was sick. Why? He said, this is for God's glory and for the Son's glory. And then hearing that Lazarus had died, he told his disciples that Lazarus is just asleep. And by the way, he said, I'm glad I wasn't there before he died because I want you to believe. You see, there's something on God's agenda that is greater than our comfort. There's got something on God's agenda that is greater than our security and our safety and our luxury and our vacations and our weddings and our on and on and on. There's something else on God's agenda, and that is that God would receive glory because when God receives glory, he pulls us into his goodness. When we give God glory through our lives, we get pulled into that glory. We get pulled into that light. It's not that God walks around the world and says, I just want glory, I just want glory, I just want to hog all the glory. What God is saying is, I want glory so that you can get the glory. You see this? Jesus wanted to glorify the Father so that the Father could glorify the Son. When we bring glory to God through our lives, he brings us into that glory. He brings us into that safe place, into that security into that refuge. And so then Jesus shows up and Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. When Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home, probably disappointed. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She rebukes him. But I know now that even God will give you what you ask. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know, he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then Jesus diverts away again from the current situation of Lazarus' death to a bigger story. Because you see, what's happening to us today is part of a bigger story that God is writing. That there are things that God wants to come of this situation that have nothing to do with our comfort, have nothing to do with life returning to normal, as I've said before, this is a Kairos moment. This is a moment when God has dropped into the world in a new way for us to pay attention to. And so Jesus says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And then she has this epiphany. Yes, Lord, I do believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. And after she said this, she went back and called Mary. The teacher is here and is asking for you. Mary got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only... If only you had been here. If only you had been paying attention. If only you had cared. If only you had loved. If only you had been watching over us. My brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then 
Jesus wept. The Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And once again, Jesus was deeply moved. He came to the tomb. He said, take away the stone. I want us to to remember something here. That God's time frame and God's doing and God's sovereignty and the things that God does that we do not understand that feel difficult to us, that feel like punishment to us, that feel like judgment to us, that feel like discipline to us, are not separate from God's compassion for us. And so Jesus, even though he delayed for two days knowing that Lazarus would die and knowing that it would aggrieve his friends, still did it because he was focused on God's glory, and yet he is deeply moved by compassion for the pain and suffering of these sisters and their friends. As God looks at your life and at my life and at the world today, I don't believe for a moment that he is not deeply moved by the pain and the suffering that people are experiencing through the current crisis and through every other crisis. That God is deeply moved with compassion. If he wept on earth as fully God, I can't believe he doesn't at times weep in heaven over what we experience. And so they took away the stone and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Even though God is doing something that so often we don't understand in the world as he moves us towards the new heaven and earth because that's where we're headed. At the same time, he cares very deeply about everything you're experiencing. And everything every individual in this world is experiencing. How many times in the story does Jesus say that the way he was handling the situation was so that others might believe and see God's glory? For Martha and Mary and the disciples, the pressing issue was Lazarus' health and his life. But for Jesus, it was that the world would come to understand that he loved them and that he was the resurrection and that he was the life. That we are not stuck in death, we are not stuck in darkness, but we have the opportunity to come into his light, into his glory, and into his resurrection in such a way that we will never die. I shared this morning in the sunrise service that The hill where we were at Elizabethtown Mennonite Church Cemetery is the place we're going to first get a hint that the resurrection has occurred. Paul says those will come out of the graves first when Jesus returns. That's where we're going to first get a sense that there's a party coming down because we're going to hear the saints celebrating on that hill. You see, Jesus knew God's story, knew what God was up to, which was something so much greater than the disciples or Martha and Mary or you and I so often have any clue about. When I talk about God's story, I just want to remind you, I'm, not, I, I'm talking about the reality where God lives. That is the way God sees the world, the way God sees you and the way God sees me and in his love and his compassion and his care. That death is just sleeping and the crises that we experience are actually opportunities for the revelation of his glory and to him and to exalt him. 
We are in the midst of a lot of uncertainty. Staying at home for who knows how long. Will we have school again in the fall? Will we get our summer vacation in? Heidi and I have said, will we see Ezra, our grandson, before he gets his driver's license? Will there still be a church when all of this is over? How can we handle this anymore? But folks, let me suggest that these are probably not the primary questions of Jesus this Easter. His questions are more like, will they finally see me as the one who is sovereign over the entire world and over its kings and princes? Will they finally put their trust in me rather than kings and princes who don't have a clue as to what is really going on? Will they believe in me? Will they choose me as the resurrection and the life? Will they understand that I have come to give them life? Folks, let's not waste an Easter like this one. Let's not waste an Easter like no other. What is God wanting you to hear Him saying to you in the quiet and solitude or the noise of your home this Easter and this season? Can we be quiet enough to hear Him? Can we turn off the television, lay down our phones, and simply say, Jesus, what do you want to say to me in the midst of this crisis? What do you want to show me about myself? And what do you want to show me about who you are? Most of us may never experience another Easter like this one. Perhaps. But rather than wishing for last year or praying that next year will be normal, how about we just walk from Jerusalem to Bethany on Jesus' terms and on Jesus' schedule? How about we walk from where we are now and into whatever future lies ahead on Jesus' terms and in His time frame? And as we do, let's keep our eyes open for God's glory to be revealed. Let's look for the resurrection and life that's suddenly bursting out in our neighbors, in our friends, in our family, and in our own lives, even as we remain at home. And let us come to believe more deeply than ever before that God is paying attention to what is going on in the world, and God is paying attention to what is going on in our lives. If you read the gospel stories of the resurrection and the days that followed, It was not a particularly dramatic moment, according to the Gospel writers. It was a time accompanied by a lot of doubt and fear and unbelief among Jesus' disciples. And yet, that did not change the fact that in everything, that everything in fact had literally and really been changed by the resurrection. Death had been defeated, hell had been overcome, and eternal joy had entered the world forever. Easter is not about mustering up some emotion of happiness or joy when it feels difficult. It is simply about remembering and reveling in the fact that no matter what is going on around us this Easter season in 2020, He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen and amen.
Can face tomorrow. 
Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. I want to thank you, Kate and Anna and Elizabeth, for leading us through that journey from just dwelling with Jesus and then to those rousing hymns that we're so familiar with. Thank you to Landon for his continuing work at upgrading the quality of what we're doing here. And uh, Landon spent a long time here this morning, and I'm sorry that we could not get it on Zoom, but we're moving away from Zoom as we discover some uh, better ways of... Uh, broadcasting this, and we'll keep working at that this week. Just a couple of announcements this week. There are going to be prayer gatherings again at 7 p.m. through Zoom on Tuesday evening and Thursday evening, and you'll get those links as well. Heidi will have a 1.30 p.m. time for check-in and how you're doing and support at 1.30 on Wednesday of this week, and she'll announce another time also later in the week. Thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you again to all of you who helped pull this off this morning, and most of all to Christ who has risen with us indeed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you again for this time together, that you were present with us here and also wherever folks were gathered and wherever they might be gathered as they listen to this in the future. Thank you for your presence and the reality of your life and your resurrection and your salvation with us. Bless us now the rest of this day, and may we be aware of your presence and your care and compassion. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessings to you and his peace.